<laughs> so today was a little busy, or this week was a little busy. So, so, so you're doing two jobs, but you're also getting double pay, right? No. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, it's not quite the way it usually works out, huh? Yeah. Oh, well. So Dan- it's, it's good. It'll be, I'm excited about it. You think, you, you think you'll like it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be, be a good good change so well good and i want to hear more about your job but not yet okay i want to i want to move through this chronologically and learn all about little 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 baby danny caldwell and stuff like that so i want to tell you real quick though before i met you personally i knew of you um really i did yeah i uh how did you know of me well um back in Oh, when was it? 2000, maybe two or three? Somewhere between 2001 and 2005, Payson Community Theater did a production of Footloose. Um, Yes. Which, uh, of course, Footloose is kind of a big deal down in Payson Mm -hmm. because uh, they're at the the high school. It was filmed there. Yeah, it was filmed there. Um, You and I both went to Payson High School, right? Yes. I'd assume you probably heard a lot of the same rumors as I did, like, oh, Kevin Bacon smoked a doobie in that in that bathroom stall. My mom saw it. He totally did. (laughs) I saw the movie. Well there you go. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So so like Footloose is, you know, a cool movie anyway, but you know, kind of maybe it's especially a big deal down here in Utah County where uh, you know, Payson High School, the Lehigh Roller Mills, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um and so, yeah, I wanted to be in it. So I was just an extra in in this production of Footloose, which we were putting on at the high school. So it was extra cool. And your little brother was in there. He was in it, yep. Now, Nate was a cool guy, and I don't think he was trying to discourage me in any way. I, I And I was a, a little bit younger than Nate, too. And I, he was buddies with my neighbor, Zach Freeman, who I already looked up to a okay. lot. Um, we'd get together to like play guitar and stuff like that, and I felt like so cool to be included, you know? Um, mm-hmm. with these these cool older guys, uh, and I of course I knew Bailey too. My wife and I went to uh, went to middle school and junior high and high school with Bailey as well. Your little sister. so you're the same age as Bailey. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Does that make you feel old? Yeah, it's not intended to. Like as we get older, we're the same age, aren't we? No. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's true. That's <laughs> totally how I feel anyway. But um, like it's I, like I hang out with Bailey. Bailey's cool. Bailey's way yeah. cool. Absolutely. So I mean, I, I have wondered before though, like where is that line? Because like I sometimes I feel it like a little bit. Like if I'm hanging out with someone who's like 21, 22, you know, it's like all right, kid, you know. But then you know, like where's that line where it's suddenly like, yeah, we're all just the same. We're all just grown ups. Like, he said like, it's thirty. Is it thirty? Thirty's the age. Yeah, yep. that makes sense. <laughs> Well, anyway, so I was, we were driving home from a Footloose practice one night, um, and Nate, your brother, put on an album. I don't know what group it was. I remember him mentioning that they were a Disneyland band, which was something I didn't know was a thing at the time, but they had oh. bagpipes. Off Kilter. Oh, Off Kilter. Well, I know of the band. That, that's yep. funny, because now I've listened to that band, but I didn't know that that was the band we were listening to then. Yes. Well, there you go. <laughs> so we we're listening to Off Kilter, and I was like, "Man, this is so cool!" And he's like, "Yeah, bagpipes are great." I was like, "Man, I can't, I'm going to learn to play bagpipes." I was like 11 or 12 at the time. Uh, I was like, "I'm going to learn to play bagpipes," uh-huh. and, and I really meant it because that was like my parent, my dad really wanted me to learn bagpipes. You know, like I was really yeah. into. And Nate, I don't think he meant to discourage me or anything like that. You know, when you're young, sometimes you speak a bit. Um, oh, what's the word? Uh, uh, you know, when you uh, when you say something like I've told you a million times, you know, it's like uh, there's a word for it. Yeah. Um, hyperbolically, you know, w- okay. w- when you're when you're young, sometimes you get a, you, you wax a bit hyperbolic sometimes. Yes. Um. So I don't think he meant this in any sort of negative way, but he said something like, oh, dude, my brother plays bagpipes. There's you. it's too late. You know, like you have to start like really young. You you know, like you, you like <laughs> there's no way you could learn to play at this point in your life. You know, like, <laughs> which the funny thing is, I started when I was like 15. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I was just so mature as like an 11 or 12 year old that he assumed I was already out of high school. And that's why we weren't uh-huh. seeing each other in classes. Maybe like, that's probably it. That's probably <laughs> it. That's probably it. Um, but so anyway, that was the first that I knew of you, <laughs> that you were the, okay. you were like the object of this message to me that like, I had missed the boat on bagpipes. You missed the boat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't listen to it. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, you know, it worked out and, uh, and now, and now we're friends through bagpipes and that makes me happy. Yes. So anyway, awesome. this isn't supposed to be me telling my stories. Just uh, that's that's how I first knew of you, my good friend Danny. Now, now I want to know about you. 
where you grew up, what kind, what, what, what was life like as a kid, and when did you first become aware of bagpipes and think I'm going to play that someday, and where did you learn, and all that kind of stuff. Take me back and tell me a story. Okay, so I moved around a lot when I was little, but we finally settled in Payson when I was about 11. Now, and I'll, I'll try not and to interrupt parent... you too much, but didn't okay. wasn't some of that moving around international? It wasn't. Uh-uh. Or was it the it year... was within Utah, I... And Idaho. <laughs> I just remember a connection between your mom and Africa. My mom grew up in, did a lot of her growing up in the Ivory Coast and Lesotho. Okay, that's why in, I had that connection in, Africa. in my mind. Okay. Yep, she grew up all over the place, so she traveled quite a bit, but... We never really left Utah, so. I'm not making fun of you. It's still cool. <laughs> but we, so when I was 11, we moved to Payson, which is, it felt like a big change. We came from, um, we were living in Sandy. Before that, it was West Valley. So we'd been in the Salt Lake area. And so coming down to Payson, my mom always wanted some property so she could have a few animals. And so we moved to Payson. And I remember it feeling like, where have we moved? (laughs) It was a real, at the time there was one stoplight in Payson. Yeah. It was, it was pretty small. Um, Yeah. What year would this have been? Do you remember about what year it was? 93, I think. That's cool. Cause we moved to Payson in 94. No, we, we also moved to Payson in 93. We moved to Payson in the same year. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I was in Payson, and then when we came into the junior high, um, Don Smith had started the beginning the bagpipe class. Um, I did not take the beginning the bagpipe class. Rebel. Um, I, I well, I had Don for science, and Don scared me, so I didn't <laughs> want to take it. I think that Don won't mind. I think he'll find that funny that you're not the first person to have told me something like that. <laughs> Well, I think Don knows that. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, we had some conflicts in junior high. Um, things repaired and and had a really good good experiences with Don. Yeah. But a bunch of my friends took the class, and so then coming into high school, they got into the pipe band. So it was like Justin, uh, Justin Hadley, Joey Wilkinson, um, Jacob Moody, um, Leanne, mm-hmm. uh, Leanne Tanner, Camille Brunson. Those were all my friends. And and then through them I met some of the the cool like seniors that were um that were in the pipe band. Mm-hmm. And so all these friends of mine were in the pipe band came summer at the Pace and Scottish Festival. I like hung out with them the whole time and I felt so left out. So I went and told my mom, I want to learn bagpipes. <laughs> now, were you and feeling left out mostly because you weren't playing the music with them? Or did it have a lot to do with being the only one there who wasn't in a kilt? Um, probably both. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was totally like a FOMO thing. I just uh-huh, felt like yeah. I was missing out and yeah. I wanted to be part of this thing and all my friends were part of it. So I went and told my mom that I wanted to learn the bagpipes. Um. And I think she just thought, like, what on earth? Like, we can't just go buy you a set of bagpipes because you want to try this. So I'm like, no, it's a practice channel and it's mm-hmm. not super expensive. So, um, and I had taken some guitar lessons before and, like, I never got super into it. And so I think she was skeptical. Mm-hmm. But I started taking private lessons from Don um, along with Laura Money. Um, And so we like did joint lessons. Once again, Mm -hmm. I was afraid of Don. So I made Laura do it with me. Oh, I see. I see. (laughs) But Laura was, um, she was kind of in the same boat. She kind of wanted to do this thing and kind of missed the class. So we did it together. And yeah, I started playing and I actually was only in, I got into the high school band and was only in it for a short period of time. Um, I think a few others have talked about there was a whole bunch of political drama within the, the high school pipe band at that time. Isn't it just the funniest thing to look back on now? Yes. Like, what, what was <laughs> what were we worried about? <laughs> yes. And so I left and I went and joined White Peaks. Yeah. So um, you so were, then I played with White you Peaks. You were part of the Exodus. Yes. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think it was just one summer. I don't even think I got up on pipes. Mm-hmm. while I was in the, the high school band. But um, 
But then I went and played with White Peaks. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, played with them up through um, leaving on an LDS mission. And I played when I got home from an LDS mission. Um, yeah, basically until, and then I took another break and then I went to Garden Valley. And we've That's kind of we've loved having you, and our plan is that you'll never ever go anywhere else. <laughs> that is my plan. So. <laughs> and and of course you were you were the subject of some of the most adorable uh, fo- photographs from some recent Highland Games because you kilted up some of your kids and had them play drum and stuff too. That was oh, cool. they were so cute. Yeah, they they've gotten bigger now. The kids don't fit them anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you had that toy drum uh, that was, it was your oldest, right? Who was wearing the toy drum and would march along in, in mass bands and stuff. Yeah, I think he did it once. And then my middle. Did your middle kid do it? We, kind of, we got like a, one of those Tom, like an actual drum. Oh, yeah. For the oldest one to carry. So towards the end, the oldest one is carrying the Tom. And then the That's middle one. That's right. Had the, I remember that. Yeah. The toy. And the youngest had a. A flag that he'd wave. So. You know, I I don't know for sure, but I suspect that like USA Kilts probably owes you a commission just because I I suspect that parents seeing your kids march along with the rest of the band probably ran to the internet that night and bought kilts for their children just because it was so probably. Cute. <laughs> <laughs> they had a lot of exposure at the games and they were popular, man. <laughs> few parades with them. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So now in terms of just like, I, 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 we've, we've got kind of a topic of course that I do want us to get to, but I'm curious uh, around that pipe band stuff, what was happening in your schooling or personal experiences that put you on a trajectory to land where you are professionally at present? Do you see a pathway that brought you to where you are right now? Or is it just like the craziest, most random thing? No, there's a path. So in high school, I, I wanted to be an architect actually, but I started to realize I can't draw. So (laughs) that was a problem. (laughs) So I've, I like architecture. That was always something that was interesting to me, but I I don't, I have a lot of artists in my family. I don't have, um, have that. So I've painted a little bit, but I, yeah, not to have anybody pay for (laughs) for my work. So, (laughs) um, so I decided, um, when did I decide? I think it was on my mission. I decided that I wanted to be a school teacher. Mm-hmm. So when I came back, I actually, that was my trajectory. I was in the secondary education program at, um, at UVU. And my thought was I, I was going to be a history teacher. Oh, yeah. And I decided that I should probably get a job working with kids before I become a teacher and find out I hate kids. So, right, yeah, that's, that's smart. <laughs> um, yeah, so at the time I was working at a, a backpacking store in um, Orem, out and back. Why are you so cool, and man? <laughs> it was a, that was a fun job. I bet it was. But while I was there one day, this guy came in and he said, hey, can I hang up a sign? We're just looking. I run a wilderness program for at-risk youth, and we're looking for employees. And I got talking to him. And he basically hired me on the spot. <laughs> he was like, never um, mind. I don't need to hang this poster up. Right. I'll just take you. Because <laughs> I, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is what I'm looking for. Because I was thinking I wanted to try working with kids. Yeah. So I went down there. It was this ranch wilderness program. So and hey, kids... working in isolation with at-risk youth, that's like the most highly concentrated will you hate kids or not experience that you could possibly have. Right. It totally is. <laughs> <laughs> that's trial by fire um, right there. The program was in, it was in Mona. Oh, so if yeah, you know yeah. where Mona is, it's, yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you it's thought. South, Pay- south, of, yeah. south of Payson. Yeah, you thought Payson <laughs> was nothing. Go down to Mona. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember driving down there and thinking, what in the hell am I doing? Like, this is, these are like kids. I don't like these kids. Like, these are like. <laughs> these are mean kids. <laughs> like, these weren't just at-risk kids. These were kids, like, in the criminal justice system, gang members, that kind of stuff. And yeah. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I didn't even want to be anywhere near these kids. I, in high I grew up in Payson. I just got home from my mission. Why am I going to go hang out with these right. scary teenagers? <laughs> exactly. So I got down there 
And it's like, it was a ranch. The kids like lived at this ranch. They worked with the animals. They did chores on the ranch. And then they'd go on these week-long wilderness excursions. Mm. Um, but I got down there. And after I got started, I'm like, I love this. Mm. Um, it was, um, I was surprised how much I, I did like it. And I realized that I had had a knack for it, for for running like therapy groups and just being able to work with these kids. So I realized like the reason I wanted to be a teacher was because I really wanted to help kids. And the history was just, I had to pick something to teach, but mm. history was something I was passionate about. And I realized I'd never taken a psychology class, but I started to realize that I kind of had this passion for psychology because I had taken a couple in my education program. But before that, like high school, I didn't take psychology or anything like that. So I switched my major to social work. And um, so my undergrad was in behavioral science and social work. And then I got a master's degree in mental health counseling. Mm. Now, now, Danny, you don't have to reveal anything you don't want to. But I am curious because my experience has been that like like my mom and a lot of her siblings and she has a lot um, have a lot of them have taken various sort of psychology or psychology related courses as well. And many of them have joked that it's because they needed to figure out why they were so messed up. Uh-huh. You know, and so I'm curious, like once you started taking that coursework, did you do a lot of like introspection and also like maybe retroactive psychoanalysis of like your parents and your siblings and your neighbors and your friends? Like, did you suddenly start like putting things together and figuring people out? You know, I think that's, that's part of what I love about it. It's, it's understanding people and figuring people out. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think most people who go into that field, that's, that's part of the the fascination about it is just understanding people. So, yeah. And, and I think to some, as being a therapist, it's, it's when you're helping people with their problems, you have to look at your own stuff. Mm. And so they're definitely, I think most people who go into that field, maybe don't, I think some maybe do it because they're trying to figure themselves out. Yeah. Um, if that's not why they went in, they quickly get to the point that, oh, I'm going to have to figure myself out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and you have to start looking at the stuff you haven't wanted to look at and yeah. start understanding yourself better, which is a lifelong process. So Yeah, what's what's the still, name of still that? Doing it. <laughs> what's yeah, what's the name of that that book, that database of like conditions? Um the DSM? Yeah, the DSM. Statistical manual. Yeah, like, I've wondered like how disorders. how many times yeah. someone like cracks the DSM and, you know, in their studies suddenly goes, Oh, that's me. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's partly when I realized that, like, this is what I need to be doing because I'm such a nerd when it comes to the DSM. I love the DSM. Yeah. Like, I just read it. It's fun for me. You just read <laughs> if you've seen the DSM, it's like a five, six, it might even be like 800 page book. It's thick. Yeah. I, I spend <laughs> like a lot just... of time in like in like building code manuals and stuff like that. Yeah. So I imagine it being similar, but for the human psyche. And so like, to yeah. imagine you like sitting back in a Snuggie with like a, a glass of Chardonnay in the evening and the DSM, like, ah, I'm going to relax. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? No, uh, well, I, at least you love what you do. That's great. Me. So yeah. So that's kind of where I ended up where I am. I Worked with kids for a while, and then I did private practice for a while, and now I'm back working with, with the same juvenile gang members that I was working with. <laughs> They're your people, huh? That I started with, yep. Oh, that's <laughs> great. That's wonderful, because we all need somebody who, somebody to care about us and you know, put forth effort on our behalf and stuff like that, for sure. So, I'm glad people like you exist. I, I spent you. I spent the tiniest little bit of time when I was younger working for the Forest Service. I did a little bit of time with their volunteer crew. And so we'd go out with, um, you know, groups from the local juvenile delinquency hall and stuff like that, right? To do like service yeah. projects on trails and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and I was basically just there to use the power tools, you know, because they wouldn't let any of these kids use power tools. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I do remember like just seeing how the professionals there interacted with these kids and thinking like, Oh, that's awesome. But also feeling personally like woefully inept, you know, like to do that myself. And so I'm glad that people who can do that uh, exist. That's really good. Well, thank you. But I can use power it's, tools. It's that's the one thing I discovered. Yeah. I was real good at running a drill. So <laughs> it takes all kinds. <laughs> now, and I don't want to jump around too much here, but I am curious, uh, what about your... Um, 
your experience, like maybe I'm asking you to do too much here, right? But like the connection that happens in my brain is I think about like after Zach passed away, it was you who organized and coordinated this sort of like group. Was it a therapy session? It was like a, a sharing session, you know, for a lot of members of the band and close friends of Zach's who were all missing him. And, and that was special and useful and nice. I'm curious, like, how blurred are the lines for you between your professional life and your personal life? You know, like, are there lines at all? in the in this field where you work well i i think as far as like like that that situation with zach that was that was personal like mm-hmm. like i needed to process through it and and that's i mean that was and and i know like i i was definitely not as close to zach as as others but i i felt a connection with zach zach was um really instrumental in getting me playing bagpipes again and um through the changes in my life, encouraging me to keep coming. Um, and so it was hard for me when, um, when he passed away. And so, you know, organizing that, that was like, I need to talk about this. And, yeah. and I know the importance of talking about, about things. So, so that was personal, but also probably, I mean, the thought of we need to do this was probably more of a professional thought, but for me personally, mm-hmm. it was selfish. Well, yeah, but, it's like you've got um, a toolkit, right? Because I'd imagine everybody yeah. there had that need. That's why we were there. But I wonder if any of us, yeah. I certainly didn't think, like I didn't I didn't have like the vocabulary or the tool set or whatever it was, you know, to say we should gather together and talk, you know. The need was there, yeah. but no no understanding of how to how to service that need. Yeah, and so so then with, so, you know, I, I, I recognize needs and things in my own life, but as far as like, professional like I have pretty strong lines of like this is these are my boundaries with professional things like I um don't give any of the any even when I didn't work with um kids like there weren't I wasn't giving out you know my personal information my social media if you're not friends with me is pretty locked down Mm, sure yeah people can't can't see that I don't share certain things with um, with clients, especially the kids I work with now, like yeah, there's no course. way I would give them any mm-hmm. kind of, um, you know, information that could help them find yeah. me once they're there. Yeah, out. that makes sense. But, well, but what, to what degree yeah, do, think, you feel, do you feel like, there's... oh, go ahead. Well, just that I, I think that there is a strong, um, you know, there's boundaries within it, but as far as lines like therapy plays a role in all aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner knows that, you know, when we're talking there, sometimes I'll like talking to him or talking to the kids or talking, I'll switch into this like therapist mode. <laughs> I'd imagine. And it's like yeah. <laughs> the way I talk changes. Does he ever and, get annoyed and be like, stop psychoanalyzing me. I'm just trying to talk here. <laughs> no. And, and like, and most people, I, I recognize that people, some people are sensitive to that. So I typically don't do it unless someone's like, I need you to like, I need to talk through this. Right. Do you have one of those couches? I need to lay down and talk. (laughs) (laughs) I should get one. (laughs) Do you have like, like some prop half moon glasses that you can balance on the end of your nose and, and just like a clipboard so you can just sit back and really, really set up. I have the clipboard, but the rest of this is all good. You'll you'll gather the set together as the years go by. I'm sure (laughs) you need a cob pipe to put in the corner of your mouth, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, so I am curious though, how, like, do you feel like you can see any clear ways? Um, and maybe this bleeds into sort of the subject that I asked you to, to kind of talk to me about today. Um, do you see any ways that, uh, like clear lines where the, um, the training that you've had maybe affects the way that you experience, um, the bagpipe world? I don't know if it would be like the social interaction within groups or the way that sort of a hierarchy of leadership functions or even the effects of music itself in a person's life to create it and to hear it. Uh, is that, is that too vague to say now go, or is that close enough that you can, you feel like you have something, you know, like I'm like, um, I think I can do something with that. Go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think that through my therapist, I recognized a few things. Um, I recognize the importance of community and, and the lack that of that, that we have, um, especially in the United States where we're a very independent country. We value ourselves in independence and through that, 
especially I would say in the last, probably since the seventies, we've, and for sure since like social media and stuff, we've, um, that's become worse. We're, um, we're isolated. We don't connect with people. We, um, you know, there was a study that, um, the average man over the age of 30, um, can't tell you, um, can't tell you one close friend. And, and that's, um, because a lot of, especially for, for men, there's kind of this expectation that we, we go to work. Um, and we see, I see this even more in Utah, I think with the LDS culture, sort of the traditional, traditional gender role kind of thing. Yeah. And you can have friends at work, you can have friends at church stuff, but if you're not doing one of those things, you should be home. Mm-hmm. your family and so there's not really an outlet for people to connect and to have friendships and so the need for community is is there and to have a community there needs to be something common that we're, we're doing or creating together mm. to kind of something that brings us together and so i see for me um i see the bagpipe world as being that it's a community that we come together and then especially bagpipes, it's so unique that, um, you know, those who do it are, um, can get really close and really connected. Cause like, who else do you talk to bagpipe? Talk about bagpipes too. Yeah. Um, except those, those in the band. So there's that, that community aspect. <clears throat> that that makes, a, it, that makes a lot of sense. I, my wife actually asked me, asked me, um, not too long ago. Um, you know, it was during this COVID stuff, so it couldn't have been very long ago. You know, because because I I I play a lot of different musical instruments, none of them well, you know, but um, you know, yeah. bagpipes are kind of limited in sort of their, you know, when you consider them next to something, you know, like a stringed instrument or you know a, a piano or, yeah. or a breath, basically anything else, they're kind of limited, you know, in terms of like how, what you can do with them because you only have the nine notes, you know, and and stuff like that. It's kind of a rigid yeah system, and that's part of what makes them interesting. But at the same time, my wife just asked me, she was like, if you could only have one instrument to play for the rest of your life, which would it be, you know? And after thinking for just a sec, I was like, I think it would be bagpipes, even though that might not be the most musically fulfilling thing for me personally. It's mm-hmm. because bagpipes are the only instrument I play that gives me this regular chance to get together with other people and do something with them. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And so, and I think with that, when you're, so with that, we can get into the kind of the psychology about about that are we ready for that yeah let's get <laughs> let's get deep okay so like with with music in general we see that it it bonds people like cross-culturally it's something that every culture has its own its own music mm-hmm. and it's something that humans who never had any connection to each other all created and so on some level it's thought to be kind of part of the a collective unconscious which mm. Um, if you're familiar with Carl Jung, he was, that's J-U-N-G, not Y-O-U-N-G. Um, Carl Jung was a psychologist, worked pretty closely with Freud, but he's the one who came up with this, this idea of the collective unconscious and that it's that all humans have um, certain unconscious parts of their brain that connect all of them. Um, now we kind of see that as a more, it's an evolutionary thing. We do see that but it's that we all evolved from the same place. So there's certain instinctual things built into us that all humans have. Yeah. That's, um, was it young who talked about like, like archetypes that show up in stories? Yes. I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm familiar with some, some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that he, those are some of the collective unconscious. We see stories from all different cultures that have very similar characters and um, aspects to them. You have the hero, you have, um, from a, you know, the father figure, the, all these different, mm. we called were archetypes. And these are all parts of the unconscious human psyche mm. that come out in all these different cultural contexts. But, um, but music is one of those, those things. We, we see it across cultures and we see it fulfilling very similar things. Um, it's used in ritual. Mm. So those we see it being used in courtship. Um, I mean, there's 
not a culture that doesn't have like love songs mm. um, in expressing identity, cultural identity or personal identity, and then human, just human expression, being able to express ourselves emotionally. Mm. And those are, we see that across all cultures that music for thousands of years has been used for those, those four purposes. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but it makes us like, wonder like what, why does it connect us? Cause even like thinking of like that connection and pipe band, one thing I, I love going to concerts, um, like rock concerts and, and oh stuff. yeah, and you've, one thing you, I love you've, about you've blown it, out your ability to hear stuff, haven't you? <laughs> I have. Yeah, my hearing is. I have like the hearing of like someone about fifteen years older, fifteen twenty years older than me. That's <laughs> ah, perfect for someone. I play concerts and bagpipes. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my dad always told me you need to wear earplugs when you play your bagpipes, or you're going to be deaf. And yeah. I would never listen to him. Right. And now I wear ba- earplugs. Yep. I only <laughs> just now started myself, like within the last yep. year or two. <laughs> Um, but like at concerts, like one thing I love about them, it's you go and there's just all these people, you don't know any of them, but you're friends with everybody. Like mm-hmm. everybody's like, there's this connection, this music brings us together. We're all here to hear this band that we all like, and like, we're all friends. Mm-hmm. And it's always something that kind of fascinates me, um, that I could at a concert, I could like stop and talk to anyone or just sit down and just have a conversation and people are open to it. Cause we're all, we all know that, Hey, you're, you're cool. Cause you're, <laughs> you're here. You're here. That's um, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. But some of that, it's like, why is that happening? And yeah. so there've been, there've been studies that have started to show there's kind of two main things that we see music do for humans. Um, and that, are kind of the theories as to why music connects and bonds us the way it does. And those two things are what they call self-other merging. Um, and then the other is the release of endorphins. Self-other so merging sounds, it, it puts me in the mind of those, uh, like 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 uh, the, the smart StarCraft <laughs> aliens that can like merge into a stronger being. Is that... Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what music can do for us. Huh, okay, I'm into this. <laughs> so it's, um, but like it's you, you hear that, like you can, if you've ever been at a, a big concert and, you know, there's that, slow song that starts and it used to be lighter, but now everyone holds up their cell phone lights Yep, yep. and you're in an audience of 20,000 people and they're all, you know, swaying similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're connected in that. And during musical and especially when people are creating music together and you'll recognize this when, um, when you're playing in like pipe band, that there are moments where you suddenly become uh, one with everyone. Mm. And it's somewhat like they've done studies where, um, so somebody will have be sitting at a table and their arm will be underneath the table, but then they put kind of this fake shirt over them with this fake arm that's on top of the table. Mm. And so they, they have one hand on top of the table and then the other hand is this fake hand and their hand is underneath. And they will, um, they will brush the, the fake hand with, a, with like a paintbrush mm. while at the same time brushing the person's hand under the table with a paintbrush. And the sensation that the person has is that their hand is on top of the table. Mm-hmm. They feel connected with that fake arm that's not, not theirs. Mm. And oh, okay. so, so the it's idea like is the thing that's not part of them is doing the thing that is happening to the part that is part of them at the same time. Yeah. I but see. then this thing that's not them becomes them. I see. I and see. so we, we merge into this inanimate object and it becomes part of us. Mm. So similarly, when we're creating something with someone, so I'm playing the bagpipes and I'm watching um, the pipe major's fingers like I'm doing that and I'm watching him do that. And there can be moments where suddenly you're feeling that that's you. If okay, that makes yeah. sense. Oh, it, I mean, totally. I wouldn't have had the vocabulary to describe it, but I could, I have had these experiences for sure. 
I've even had these moments where you're watching the pipe major's fingers, your fingers are doing like just exactly the same at just the right time, you know, like it's so in sync. And then you hear yeah. the snare drums, you know, like they, they hit a couple of, you know, a couple of flams right as you're doing a couple of doublings, you know, and so it's just like, yeah, so exactly the same thing, you know, and as you come down the scale, you know, then you hear the bass and tenor, it's like this this thing i don't know what to call it but it's i magical. know the feeling that like, you mean for it's sure a, yeah it's magical it's almost like this these moments of this euphoric experience of yeah like when it just all merges together perfectly um <clears throat> so that's that self other merging we're mm-hmm. talking about and we see it with people who um you know singing a duet with someone or we see it with um dancing um which is also very connected with with music. Mm-hmm. Usually, there's music with dancing. Yeah. Um, but we're we're seeing that there's there's two things that are happening. There's synchronization and there's there's mimicry. So first, mimicry is um, mimicry is something we learn very young. So like you've probably seen it with your kids when they're really little. They they copy you. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they. That they, when they're not capable of doing it, they always want to like help you with chores. Mm-hmm. Once they're capable of it, they don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, but, that's one of the greatest laments that all yes. parents share, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, but they um, they want to like copy you. They'll say things that you say. Sometimes you hear your own voice coming out of your children's mouths, mm-hmm. and that that's your kids mimicking you, and that connects us with cultures. We all do it. Um, mimicry is. Um, fashion like we we dress certain ways because that's what other people are doing and it makes us accepted and connected to our culture Mm. hello friends just a quick note to make you aware this podcast is something that i love doing and i will keep doing it no matter what but if you want to send me money i won't say an a the easiest way to do that is through patreon just go to patreon.com slash droning on podcast we do regular drawings for bagpipey albums books sheet music and more including droning on swag All patrons are in the figurative hat from whence the names of winners are drawn. And there are other benefits to members as well. They're all listed there at patreon.com slash droningonpodcast. And speaking of swag, another way to support the show is to buy cool stuff from my little online shop, bagpipeswag.com. There you can find droning on stuff as well as other pipey and drummy things that uh, that my friends and I make. And if you feel so inclined, I genuinely invite you to follow the show on Facebook. It's super fun to have a way to interact over there, uh, to discuss past episodes, and I also uh, like to bounce ideas off of, off of you, my friends, uh, ask you for input on upcoming interviews, that kind of stuff. Uh, I'd like to invite you to join in on virtual book clubs and uh, probably lots of other cool stuff that uh, I just haven't even thought of yet as of this recording. It's easy to find. Just get on Facebook and search Droning on Podcast. And if Instagram is more your jam, we're also on there at droning.on.podcast. You can also email the show at thedroningonpodcast at gmail.com. And links to these sites, social media accounts, and more are in the show notes. Leaving the show a positive rating and review helps others to find it, so feel free to do that. And thank you again for listening, you cool human you. That, that's interesting because it, it also puts me in the mind of like not even just with little kids like I've seen it with myself when I go to a different geographical place for a long period of time for work or something you know like when I was working in Tulsa for months at a time I kind of started to talk and dress and act a little bit more like I was a guy from Oklahoma instead of a guy from yeah. Utah you know what I mean like I started to kind of soak it in a little bit yeah hmm. yeah and you start picking up and and that's, you'll see some people, they move away from where they're from and they kind of lose their accent. But then when they go back, it all of a sudden right, it comes back, steps yeah. back in. Or yeah. even, I've even seen people like like they never had this accent, but if they're around people who have an accent for long enough, they slip into it, you know? Like they start yeah. mimicking it. Yeah, and as like teenagers, you'll see they're hanging around friends. They start picking They start talking like they're friends. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, they, they start, their mannerisms start to mimic their, their friends' And that's what we do, like unconsciously, and, um, and from a really, it's an evolutionary thing if we look at it. That that was our, you know, early humans. The worst thing that could possibly happen to us was being rejected from our tribe. Mm. Um, Hard to survive that way, I guess. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and so we want to be accepted, and a lot of that is, we. 
we want to be like them. And so that's, for whatever reason, as humans, we're, we feel comfortable with what's familiar to us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so things that are familiar to us, we feel more connected to. Not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. It just is what it is. Yeah, this is why like, identical <laughs> twins uh -huh. are so close. Oh, Nothing's sure. more yeah. alike than identical twins. That's why a lot of times people end up marrying someone who kind of looks like they could be their sibling, sibling. right? Yeah, absolutely. Because we're kind of drawn to what is um, familiar to us. Um, so that's that's mimicry. And, and is that also and, why we still have an MSR in bagpipe competitions? Because we're just used to it, so we can't. Yes, we can't. Stop. We can't not. <laughs> we can't. We can't stop. not do it. It would be uncomfortable. It would blow the whole thing apart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Then kind of a more, um, I guess, refined form of mimicry is synchronization. Mm -hmm. And that's what music is. Music is synchronization. Um, and when we're synchronizing with other humans, um, it's, it gives us a, a different experience. So they've, they've done some studies where kids are asked to, like, keep a beat with just, like, a... A digital sound mm. and they they can do it but they don't do it well but when they ask them to keep a beat with a human being they're keeping the beat the kids are able to do it a lot lot better oh, really? we want yeah. to synchronize mm. with other humans that makes so much sense because my 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 kids are taking piano lessons and we've got this electric keyboard that has a built-in metronome and I've never been able to get them to to follow that metronome. It's just a blinking mm -hmm. light and a tap, you know. Yeah. But when I clap, they'll stick right with me. Yeah. And I guess part of that could be that they see my hands moving, so they can anticipate the beat. But still, like it's like like zero success with the electronic metronome, and immediate yeah. success when it's me clapping. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and it's we, and we see ourselves do this. Like you can be walking with someone, and all of a sudden you find yourself, you're walking in sync with, <laughs> yeah. with that person. And all of a sudden it feels weird that you're not. And I so you like adjust your steps. To right. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you and I have the shared experience of having been Mormon missionaries. I can't tell you how many times out walking with my, you know, my missionary companions, I would, you know, double step to get out of sync with them. Cause I didn't want to be walking in sync, but I just, cause that's weird. It is. Yeah. <laughs> we already look like, you know, we're already wearing like these matching uniforms, you know, to be like lockstep yeah. walking down the street. It's just, yeah. Yeah. How funny. But we do that, and we find that sometimes when you're around someone and you're really connecting with another human, your heartbeats can sync up. Wow, really? Um, yeah. And, mm. and so we find that a lot of times as um, a, a therapeutic technique when someone is really elevated and like yelling um, is you match their, their level of elevation, and then you slowly start to come down, and they'll mm. follow you. Oh, I see. Um, so we, we try to, as humans, we unconsciously synchronize with each other. So when there's intentional synchronization, um, it's, it's something that we really connect to and really um, kind of bond with, mm. which leads to the other part is the release of endorphins. Um, I'm all about so that, we, man. Give me some of that. Yeah. So we have something in us called the um, endogenous opioid system, which is I basically our- I those words. <laughs> so endogenous being internal inside of us, um, opioid are, is, is a type of heroin is an opioid. Mm -hmm. It's a, a pain reliving drug mm -hmm. and, um, and it's built within us. And so basically endorphins, which we're familiar with, that's what yeah. gets released when, when you're doing rigorous exercise, spends things in endorphins are a natural opioid. Mm -hmm. So yeah, maybe um, I need more, more be, to be more refined, but for me, like I hear endorphin, I just think like, that's the feel good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's the runner's high. Mm. Um, so when, when people are talk about the runner's high, what happens is you're a runner, aren't you? I dabble. <laughs> well, so like people talk about that and it's usually about 15 to 20 minutes into a run, right? When you're thinking this sucks, why am yep, I doing yep. this? You suddenly start, you just feel better. Yeah. And that's the endorphins kicking in. And endorphins are, are a pain reliever. And so suddenly what's uncomfortable doesn't feel um, 
feels uncomfortable. Right. For sure. I have definitely found that if I can make it, if I can keep going for like 12, 13 minutes, then I can go for 30 minutes. But if I can't make it those first 10, 12 minutes, then I'm going to not make it very far at all. Yeah. And so what we find, so it decreases stress, it decreases pain. And they found in like, um, there's been studies that have shown that people who listen to music before certain procedures need less, um, less pain medication. Mm. And because music, what we find releases endorphins within us. Uh, um, and we find that active participation in music, as opposed to passive listening, um, increases that, um, that even more. Mm. So, so pipe band is given this like triple whammy of like, you're synchronizing with people, you're proactively participating in music, like all this stuff is all bundling up and working together. That's why you, that's why you get the, the pipe band high as you're leaving the, the band hall in the evening after practice. Exactly. That's why you feel so good. Yeah. And, and in addition, we find that when we're, when we're synchronizing with people, it's, um, it releases, um, um, other neurochemicals. Um, mm. It releases oxytocin, which is kind of been um, called the the bonding chemical. It's it's released in um, in humans when there's like skin to skin contact. Oh, is so that like, is well, that the one that gushes after a baby is born? Like the mother has yeah. like this rush of oxytocin. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's oxytocin, and like when a mother nurses her baby, um, mm -hmm. which is why they a lot of times tell new fathers to hold their their infant shirtless yeah <laughs> because it releases that women get that when they're nursing their baby the men don't get that typically so yeah I've, it can I've increase left that bonding i've left before when when sitting in the hospital like after you know after the baby's born and my, my wife mm -hmm. has been able to feed the baby and everything and then it's like my turn to hold the baby you know mm -hmm. the doctors and nurses will be like yo do skin to skin and I've laughed at myself for feeling like self-conscious, you know, to like take your shirt off. <laughs> right. When I'm sitting right next to my poor wife who just delivered a baby with like a half uh -huh. dozen people in the room, you know, like, yes, <laughs> I have no right to feel self-conscious right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when there's skin to skin, when you give someone a hug, it's released when, mm. um, when we're connecting with humans, um, we get these rushes of oxytocin. Mm. Um, vasopressin is closely linked to, Oxytocin, it helps with, with bonding and connecting um, memory to, to experience or memory to emotional, what yeah. we're feeling emotionally. I, I want to tell you, you, tell me what you think of this, Danny. This is maybe too obscure. I'm just going to do it anyway, though. And I don't think my sister will ever listen to this, so she probably won't mind. But also, I won't say her name, so no one will know who she is unless you know who she is, in which case you'll know exactly who she is. <laughs> but she... My sister, one of my sisters, I have many, one of them has just gone on and on about how much she loves the show Frasier. You remember the show Frasier? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen it. I'm like, yeah, it's a show. It's it's fine, you know, but like she uh -huh. loves Frasier. Like like it could it could bring her to tears. She loves Frasier so much. Uh-huh. And after she had gone on and on for like months, you know, I'd hear, I'd hear her just extolling just the virtues of Frasier, how wonderful Frasier is, you know, how much she loves mm -hmm. Frasier. I found out that when she was, um, her, her babies had a hard time breastfeeding, so she would pump and then feed them, you know. Um, uh -huh. I found out that to pass the time when pumping, she would watch Frasier. <laughs> and she was holding her babies at the same time too, you know. Uh -huh. And, uh, and I, I've wondered before, like, does she have an like oxytocin driven connection to the actors, maybe even especially the main characters in Frasier? Has she established like a mother child bond <laughs> with the characters of this show? Is that why she loves it so much? Do you know, I, I think that's possible. Like we, we connect, like there's, we all have certain things that we enjoy because they connect to certain experiences. Mm-hmm in our lives where we were having a positive emotional experience. And we also have things that we don't like because we experienced them when we were having a negative mm. emotional experience. So oh, that totally makes I think sense. that would make, make total sense that she's feels that connection with free and probably maybe doesn't even realize why she likes Frasier so much. <laughs> I mean, but don't get me wrong. It's a fine show, it. but I've never heard yeah. anybody quite go on quite so much about this show, you know? So 
Because even like, like I love friends. Yeah. And part of what I love about friends is I connect it with being in college. I would watch friends with, um, with my friends in, mm-hmm. in college, like, and that there's really positive, um, you know, memories associated with that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's how I feel about the Simpsons. We used to yeah. gather every Sunday night as a family. I'd snuggle against my dad's side and we would watch the mm-hmm. episode of the Simpsons that night. Uh-huh. So that's, I love the Simpsons. Yep. So, hmm. so I think there's probably definitely something to that. Okay. Well, I'm just going to run with that. I'm just going to assume that that's exactly (laughs) what's happened. My, my sister has bonded herself like eternally to Frasier. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are, you know, those, those chemicals and we, we don't realize how strong those are. Like our brains are, our brains control everything Mm -hmm. and what's happening in them. What, um, you know, neurotransmitters and what neurochemicals are being released, um, affects, who we are as a person. Mm. And so that's why um, don't do drugs. Drugs mess with those and mm-hmm. can change who you are as, as a person. Um, yeah. Why certain we have traumas because we experience something, you know, we're in a horrific car accident and all the rush of chemicals changes who we are as a person. Mm. That, oh, that's so and interesting because so, I've, I've known people, I've even wondered if I've had the effect of, I had a big jaw surgery a little while ago, you know, and I've wondered, I feel like my personality has been a little different since then. My wife has commented mm-hmm. on it, not in the most positive way either, you know, and, um, and I've, yeah. I know for sure I have family members who after uh, a brain surgery, after a serious back surgery, things like that, they definitely are different in sometimes yeah. subtle, but sometimes not so subtle ways afterward. Yeah. Well, and I had back in college I had an like I was the outdoorsy guy like I did Mm -hmm. I worked at out and back I rock climbed I backpacked I snowboarded I did all this stuff and then I had a we went down to Moab for spring break with some friends and I fell off a cliff Mm -hmm. um, while we were rock climbing Um, 50 feet (laughs) hit the ground life lighted it was traumatic don't forget that you got scalped on the way down too yeah my my scalp came off (laughs) so it was but since then, like, I still like that outdoorsy stuff hasn't had the appeal to me. Mm-hmm. But like, there's part of me that's like, no, that's who I am. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I've had to kind of like process with myself that like, it's okay that that's not who you are anymore. That changed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't enjoy that stuff as much. I mean, I still like going out and camping and sitting by the fire, but that high adrenaline stuff, mm-hmm. like... I don't like it anymore. And I keep trying to like tell myself I do, but I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that experience, you know, the, um, you know, the adrenaline and the, everything that was released in my brain when I'm having, you know, my life flash before my eyes, like has caused some trauma. I, I don't like that stuff mm-hmm. anymore. So, so what we're releasing in our brains, like, changes who we are and i think we can all see like with pipe band or playing with any kind of musical group has changed if you do that regularly it changes who you are as a person Mm. and and almost surely in a very positive way right yeah increase your maybe maybe your capacity for happiness decrease your your stress stuff like that yeah which is is why i think it's interesting that um like when when you guys got started um with um garden valley like you were able to reach out to these people that like hey i know these people used to play and you really created the band by like reaching out to people who used to play and people came and i think it's because that like we miss it when you're not playing it Mm. and i'm sure you experienced this through your jaw surgery and covid like you miss it like i want to be with them i want to connect with that and it's i mean you go inside it's because of all these positive brain chemicals that that are there Mm -hmm. um as you're connecting and creating with with other people so that is yep that resonates a lot that makes a lot of sense and it it makes a lot of sense with this sort of realization that i came to recently and and it is partly because of when i was out for the jaw surgery and then out because of COVID and stuff it's like this recognition that don't get me wrong i love bagpipe music you know i listen to it recreationally and i love to play just for the sake of playing 
you know, and I know that there are other people that are more serious about the music than I am for sure, you know, and that's great. But like when it really comes down to it, at least for me personally, I think that I've done bagpipes all these years more than anything because of this like connection to humans, several humans in particular, of course, because you also, you know, forge lasting friendships that are very important as well, you know, but, um, it's not just the band it's getting together at the Scottish festivals and stuff as well. You know, these massive group of people that we're all here because we love the same things. It's, it definitely feels cool. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that, um, Zach's funeral was a testament to that. Like Zach created music with a lot of people. Yeah. And you saw how many people showed up. I mean, it was, it was astounding. Yeah. Um, and I think it's people, feel that connection to that community, but also to Zach because of what we've created, Mm -hmm. created together. But I'm the same way. I, I mean, I'm not a fantastic musician. I'm, I like music. I try to be good, but (laughs) I struggle, but I keep coming back because, um, that connection, I love the, the community and just how, how it feels. And that's what got me started originally I felt left out. I wanted to connect with, with my friends. Yeah. Um, who were all creating this together. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that it's kind of like, you know, if we're setting this up as like, I don't know, a side by side parallel story, we can see like your, your deeper desire when you were younger to connect with and help and, um, you know, uh, you know, be with, uh, young people, um, <clears throat> the vehicle for that for a time looked like be a history teacher. And then after a while you realize it's not the teaching history that speaks to me deeply. It's this human connection. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. And like in a similar way, and that, that doesn't mean that history is uninteresting. History is awesome. It's a wonderful vehicle for that. So it's like, it's not saying throw history out. That's still cool, but it's like recognizing there's a deeper, even more significant, even more important thing here. And maybe in a similar way, it's with pipe band, like, don't throw the pipe in now. The music is amazing. It's wonderful. It's definitely important. It's an important part of this. But there might be an underlying bedrock that's even stronger that is human connection. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. I think, which is why I, I think that you probably find, and I don't have any anything to back this up, but get something out of playing solo music. For sure, yeah. But you get something much, much more when you're creating with with a group. Yeah, so. that's de- I definitely think that's true. I like like, not not that not that I personally could achieve a high caliber of playing, but you can imagine that like the 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 quality or interestingness of music that you can achieve as a soloist is probably higher than what you can usually achieve in a group. You know, like. Yeah, you know, you can do some crazy stuff as a soloist, but you you kind of have to dial it back and hit some standards, you know, some some marches and strathspeys and stuff with a group. But in spite of that, there are more of us who participate in the group than do solos, you know, because there is something special about doing that group thing. Yeah. Not the soloing's bad. Soloing's great. Do both. Yeah. Do both. Yep. I I think you get different things from Mm -hmm. I think there's a much more kind of internal spiritual connection with the solo mm-hmm. whereas you have more of that collective unconscious spiritual connection i think with the, mm. the group so. interesting interesting and beautiful you're making me yeah. think <laughs> it's really fascinating stuff well so. what else have you got have you got other notes for us here danny that was kind of what i have on like mm-hmm. the kind of the psychology of of music and um how that relates to, to pipe band. Mm. Like, um, why are we all doing this? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm no, sure we've all asked and, and like, sometimes, right? Like, yeah. What, wait, where am I? Why am I doing this? <laughs> well, and I always feel this pull to it. Yeah. Like whenever I, I've had mom, like periods of my life where I've stepped away, but there's always this, like every time band season comes around, I just like feel almost sick. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I want to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's, so when you ask me, about this like you know i'm a a therapist full-time but you know music therapy is not my specialty but mm. this was 
really interesting for me to kind of research this and say, you know, why do we connect? I use music in therapy, but I've never really looked into like, why does it do what it does? Mm. So it was fascinating for me to really research that and understand that better. So thank you for urging me in that direction. You're welcome. (laughs) I will, I will encourage you to do research and give up your Saturday morning free of charge anytime. (laughs) All right. So I, I think that when it boils down to it, a lot of what we get out of pipe and for most of us, it's, it's kind of our self care. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, how psychology plays into that, but ultimately it's, it's about, we is, is busy, the human beings with a lot going on, we need to take care of ourselves. And so my, my plug here is that um, whatever it is, you've got to find something that you do, something that, that makes you happy, brings you joy, um, because ultimately that's what makes life worth living and makes, um, yeah, the day worth, worth getting up for. So for me, that's what Pipe Band is. I'm sure for many people in Pipe Band, that's that's a big reason why they do it. It's part of that self-care of doing what you need for yourself uh, spiritually.